You are listening to the Enormo Cast. If there's one thing that has been relentlessly beat into your climbing psyche, it's that off with climbing is heinous. The worst. Only the realm of the truly sadomasochistic. Don't even try it, you wimps. Because it's just not for you. And yet the psychos at Black Dot... <coughs> and yet the psychos at Black Diamond have decided to up the ante. Go all in. Call your bluff. Use whatever gambling metaphor you want here because I'm just riffing. But anyway, those miscreant engineers have really done it this time with the number 7 and number 8 Camelots. Yep, the number 21 Camelot was a ruse, a cunning attempt to trick you. But the number 7 and number 8 are no joke. They are the biggest, baddest cams on the planet, featuring much of the pure dreaminess of the C4 line, with added beef where needed, and of course the trigger keeper for slinging them like a closed fist ready for the old 1-2 uppercut. So if like most off-with aficionados, you've been forced into a pant-loading run for the anchors above a tipped-out 6, go check out Black Diamond's new large and in-charge number 7 and number 8 at blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop. You know, once this stay-at-home thing lightens up a little bit. Does your partner suffer from try-it-again syndrome? Or one-hang-itis? Or even worse, delusional performance disorder? Well, there really isn't a cure for DPD, except for a good smackdown. But it does probably mean that you've been belaying them for hours and hours on end, and are now suffering from BNP, or belayer neck pain a stiffness in the cervical spine just below the occipital region of your thick, thick skull. But now there's a cure for BMP resulting from DPD. Ask your doctor about belay specs. And when he doesn't know what the hell you're talking about, just smile and tuck that prescription for opiates away for your next overseas plane flight. But then ask several strangers about belay specs. Ask that cute barista at the coffee shop on the corner about belay specs. In fact, ask everyone you know about belay specs. Keep talking about belay specs until nobody wants to climb with you anyway. Problem solved. But if that doesn't work, then go to belayspecs.com and get yourself a pair. And don't forget to enter EnormaCast at checkout for a discount and to help out the podcast. Side effects may include people thinking you're staring at them when you're not. Old track runners rolling their eyes. People putting them on for the first time saying, ooh, that's trippy. People insisting they don't like those weird glasses even though they've never even tried them. If you feel drowsy, nauseous, rumbling in your stomach, horny, confused, or have strange, vivid dreams, this probably has nothing to do with belay specs. It is more likely from that bug you picked up in that backpacker's hostel in Rio after five too many caipirinhas. Belayspecs.com. Say adeus to belayer neck pain. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's not a town. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. Seats. Seats. Oh, you really town. should... Uh, Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the EnormaCast. And now back to the show. 
Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Kalouse. It is April 29th, 2020, about 9.45 p.m. here in Colorado, and this is episode 197 of the Enormacast, a conversation with the legendary, even mythical, Katie Brown. But before we get to Katie Brown, my well wishes go out to Malcolm Daly. Malcolm suffered a stroke, a very serious stroke, and uh, was fairly touch and go for a little while, but now is recovering at home, apparently, and accepted into some rehab programs that are going to get him back on his feet, pun intended. Malcolm has always been a pillar of the community, did a great episode with him last year, if you want to go back and check that out, and I uh, just hope he's doing well and uh, getting better. If you are interested in finding out more about that situation, the updates, the best updates I've found are over at his GoFundMe, uh, the Malcolm Daly Stroke GoFundMe, and you can also donate to uh, help with his recovery if you feel like it. So if you're interested in what's going on with Malcolm, check that out at the GoFundMe page. Secondly, some of you may remember, certainly some British and Welsh listeners remember that uh, Steve Dilk and I embarrassingly announced that Joe Brown had passed away last January during the TAPS edition uh, a year and a half ago. And unfortunately, it is now the truth that Joe Brown passed away on April 15th at the age of 89, having lived a pretty amazing life. And Steve and I apologized for that mistake, you know, made under, you know, multiple slugs of whiskey, but, uh, but still disrespectful at best. So, my condolences to the friends and family and the climbing community that surrounded Joe Brown, a legend, a master, and frankly, quite influential on all of us. Here's to you, Mr. Brown. Okay, let's get to Katie Brown. No relation. Katie Brown, I consider a friend, and I've been wanting to interview her for quite some time. She's been on the sort of short list of, of people I need to get to sit down. So I was lucky to have her agree. She's actually working on a book, a memoir about her life, and that was kind of the impetus for her to finally sit down. But I've been wanting to talk to Katie Brown for a while because I don't think Katie Brown gets her due. Katie Brown was one of the earliest phenomenal competition climbers, and phenom is an excellent word to use when we're talking about Katie Brown. She was part of a wave of young kids, kids like Sharma, kids like Tommy Caldwell, kids like Beth Rodden that came and flipped the competition scene on its head, something we're used to now, young competitors destroying anybody that dares to try to compete in their 20s. But yeah, Katie Brown was an amazing sport climber as well, an amazing on-site climber, and I think treated unfairly in her heyday, and I think also kind of uh, maybe pushed out of the spotlight a little bit. However, a lot of the young competition and sport climbing ladies out there owe a lot to Katie Brown. They stand on her shoulders. And here we are to tell her story. But the thing we find out, and I think a lot of people had an inkling of at the time, is that there was a lot of darkness behind Katie Brown's meteoric rise. And 
We find out quite a bit about it on this show, including talking about her severe eating disorder. To just know that that's coming up, if that's something that is difficult for you. So what Katie wants to do, starting with this interview and the book and everything else, is weave something of a cautionary tale about her life as a competitor Because we're now looking at competition climbing getting far more serious with the Olympics on the horizon, should it continue after what are now the 2021 Olympics. But yeah, Katie had a rough go of it, and we're about to learn about that here. This was a difficult interview for Katie. Uh, We stopped a lot. We paused a lot. Of course, I took most of that out of there. So, you know, if it seems like we're going one direction and suddenly we change directions or you feel like maybe I interrupted and changed his direction. Well, it's because there was probably a long pause, maybe even a couple few minutes pause that uh, was just suddenly taken out of the edit to make a more seamless interview. You'll get a feel for what I mean when you listen. So hopefully this interview is the beginning of something of a reexamination of who Katie Brown was when she was a competitor and a professional and well-known climber and who she is now in that arc of living an extremely unhealthy life in pursuit of climbing to a much healthier life as a mother, as a wife, and now as someone who climbs for fun. So here we go, folks. Quite a roller coaster ride with Katie Brown. Look, folks, you've been hitting that hangboard like a swole gibbon, doing repeaters until your veins twist into ridiculous words like venga. Your homemade wall is splintered and worn with your thrice daily prostations. But what if, just maybe, power, endurance, and power endurance, whatever that is, isn't actually what's holding you back. In fact, it's your lousy footwork after all. That's where Sportiva comes in. Sportiva has the best line of climbing shoes in the world for when you stop hanging around and actually have to climb something. From legends like the Mira and Squama, to new standards like the Solution Cop. And don't forget the TC Pro, the only shoe to free solo L cap. Remember that? So when the hangboard is once again cobwebbed over, or just that place you stash your one-hitter, do what you've always done and stand on your feet with Sportiva. Check it all out at Sportiva.com, or as soon as your local shop is open and ready for your business, rush right down there and give them some money. First of all, I want to say it's great to see you. <laughs> Thanks. It's been a while. It hasn't been a decade, I don't think, but pretty close since Probably. I've actually like had looked face to face with with you. Yeah. Yeah. Even though we, you know, we spent some time together back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, but I think mostly your your life took the turn of having a kid. And now that I have a kid, I realize what happens when that happens. Yeah. And you just basically like <laughs> drop out other than some pretty close friends are the only people you ever see or yeah. your new parenting friends that yeah, you parent didn't friends. have before. <laughs> you're sort of Boulder based or you're um, We're in the in birds, Longmont. right? Yeah, in Longmont, yeah. My daughter goes to school in Lyons, okay. so kind of between. Right. So I, I realized that part of not seeing you was that, you know, we diverged in a sense. Plus, I live over on the Western Slope. But it's really great to see you. Yeah. Thanks, you too. Yeah. Yeah. You look great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, you look the same. I know I look exactly the same. Exactly the same. We're amazing, aren't we? <laughs> I pretend like I don't age. <laughs> age just doesn't happen to us. It's awesome. So, um, yeah, and I'm really glad that you're on the show. Um, we have some some big stuff to talk about, uh, including 
this book project that you're embarking on. Also, though, long before you started talking about that with me, um, I've wanted to have you on the show. I feel like, to me, knowing who you are and, and um, like growing up and climbing during the same era where you, I'm older than you are, but you sort of came on the scene while I was also like really, really into climbing. And so we were all fascinated by you. Uh, you know, Tommy Caldwell was a, in your cohort in terms of competition climbing, Chris Sharma. So these these people were fascinating. And you were in this like really interesting era of the kids taking over the yeah. scene. You yeah. know what I mean? So, yeah. So let's just start there and talk a little bit about um, not maybe your personal scene, but what like competition climbing uh, and and that part of your life looked like uh, in terms of walking in there. You were like 13 or 14 years old. I think I was 14 when I did my first competition. I'd have to double check, but 13 or 14. Yeah. And and walking into a world where you're competing primarily against adults, um, if I recall. And that was kind of like the bombshell of of uh, of Katie Brown. <laughs> well, it, just, it wasn't just me. Uh, yeah. Beth Rodden was in your cohort. Who yeah. Else? So I think it kind of started because we did junior regionals and then we did a bunch of us went to San Diego for junior nationals. And then somehow we ended up being like, let's go do, there was an adult nationals in San Francisco. And so a group of us, I think it was me, Beth, Dave Hume and Chris. And I'm not sure if there's anyone else, but I remember those guys, we all went to the adult nationals just like, just to see. And I think I got second and Chris got first. And so it was that was kind of like, oh, <laughs> the kids are <laughs> here. Are the kids, <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, and that's like I think it. I, I've said this on the show before, but it was like it's totally commonplace now that that's who wins competitions. I mean, maybe not quite as young as you were, yeah. Uh, but it's well, we in were... that in that age group. That's just what we. It's like normal now. Yeah. I mean, and you were literally competing at times in that era against you know people in their like middle late twenties. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, Mia Axon, someone like that would never even be, you know, that age of a climber would never even be in the conversation. And, you know, it's it just kind of like started is like the first moment. And in a lot of ways in my mind, it reflects this a lot more even now of like it just started to reflect gymnastics mm -hmm. um, in yeah. that same way of where you're aging out. Yeah. Like in your early 20s. Yeah. We yeah. were watching the Toulouse competition on like YouTube. Mm -hmm. It was really, it's really fun to watch actually. Um, and I'm excited to see the Olympics, but, um, the oldest American competitor, I think she was 22 mm -hmm. and yeah, that's so pushing she, was, it. she was like, the old lady. <laughs> totally. I mean, and that's really like the gymnastics thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, I've been thinking about this for the last couple of years as the, as the Olympics have sort of pumped up and, and, uh, how, you know, there's so much. There's a lot of neg negative things that have come out of like that style of like pushing kids towards competition. Um, and I worry that it'll become more commonplace in, in, you know, just this idea of like, okay, we're going to get these kids going super, super early and, and whether they like it or not, which of course, you know, we're going to get into your story, but that was, you know, a part of a little bit of what was happening to you um, by the time you were aging out of your competition at what like 17 or 18 <laughs> um so but what i read on the wikipedia page which may or may not be true is it says you started climbing at 13 and won your first comp at 
14 is that was the the gap that short between sort of starting and and competing at a high level i think it was more like 12 okay. when i started climbing right um because i went a few times when we still lived in colorado and then we moved to kentucky and that's when i really started climbing so i started climbing like consistently when i was more like 13 but i had definitely gone before when mm-hmm. so right. i think just to be more accurate yeah, I would right, say right. 12 because it wasn't like I was had never been rock right. climbing. So I had been definitely like I was f- totally familiar with the sport, I, but I didn't start like regularly climbing until I was 13. So, yeah. So this would have been uh, like what the early 90s, mid 90s? Yeah. So I would have turned 13 95. at the very end of 93. Pretty sure Junior Worlds were in 95. Right. So I would have been. 14 or possibly almost turning 15. Right. Okay. So, yeah, that's sort of what I remember, too. And we don't need to be super accurate with dates. Like, I have no idea what happened in 1995, and no yeah. one else does either. <laughs> so, um, but, I mean, more of the historical thing, I'm going back to this idea that, okay, so you start climbing pretty seriously, 12, 13, 14 years old. And even, again, like, that seems totally normal now. But previous to that, climbing was a very adult sport. Mm-hmm. And since we didn't really have, like, the... Pro- you know, the uh, pervasive amount of gyms we have now, they were here and there. Yeah. There just wasn't this like easy entry point for kids um, and climbing outdoors, even in, you know, places like the red and stuff like that have, you know, have appeal and, and don't have appeal for kids. But uh, it seems like totally normal now, but it was not. Yeah. Like, it was pretty unusual to come and see, you know, a 12 year old tiny little girl like leading <laughs> climbs. Yeah. I mean, that, that, would have turned heads anywhere in the country um, right. when when you started doing it. So, um, and and you weren't very big. I mean, not that you're very big now, but you were little. <laughs> and like, then I never grew. Yeah, it's <laughs> 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 okay. Um, so I wear tall shoes. Yeah, <laughs> you always have actually since I've known you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, just to, to just to sort of frame it, but and also besides the competition stuff, you were an excellent. Uh, excellent outdoor sport climber because you had to be. There was no, like, you couldn't just spend all your time in crummy gyms that were around the country. So when you first started it. Well, I mean, in our, the way we were raised, like being athletic was super, super important and being athletic outdoors was more important. And so climbing in the gym was kind of like weak sauce. (laughs) Well, it's interesting you talk about, um, you know, I read some stuff you've written and you talk about like, you know, trying to figure out what it even means to train yeah and just there there was no method behind it no science behind it you know just like trying to figure out like okay i've have these newish artificial holds and i've got them on a piece of wood in my garage now what do i do yeah well i was pretty isolated and then adding to that i don't think aside from like my isolation the the um, training, I don't think, was like as developed in right. general. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Because I've I mean. listened to some of your podcasts, and they talk about training and teams and coaches and all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, it's so different from like, oh, I got to go to the X Games. I better do some extra pitches at the red. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that's my training. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. do twelve pitches instead of <laughs> eight or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like in terms of competitions, it's literally ancient history. You know, 1995, you know, a whole, a whole, I mean, 25 years ago, 25 years is a long time in the evolution. Um, and again, like, you know, 
it became organized enough that they all they simply did was start looking around like okay how do the gymnasts do it you know and okay we have teams and we have these programs we have coaches um and then there was specific science put into i mean science it's you know I, i'm air podcast air quotes put into training specifically for climbing but that regime of teams and programs and stuff has just been pulled from any other youth sport whether it's like swimming or gymnastics or anything else um but yeah it just didn't it again it like didn't exist yeah i think yeah. it's really cool because it seems like from just from some of the younger climbers that you've interviewed there's like a cool sense of camaraderie in the competition scene that i think would have been fun to have and yeah. so i think yeah, it's really exactly. cool that <laughs> what we're going to get into here is that your your youth competition years were pretty traumatic for you yeah yeah i mean with, <laughs> <laughs> not just pretty. I mean, it's kind of the basis of part of why we're sitting down here and part of why why you're deciding to write this book. Yeah. In some ways, and maybe you can you can back this up or whatever. I like I started this by saying there's this maybe this looming issue with this stuff, and and do you feel like you have sort of a, a tale to tell that uh, maybe a, a sort of a warning across the board for yeah. to, for how to approach this uh, this thing that that you did? Yeah, I do. So there's kind of like this, I don't know, maybe it's ongoing because I have been so out of the climbing scene for at least eight years. And I'm just kind of now starting to try and re-familiarize myself with the community and stuff. And um, as you know, in the process of doing so, I've noticed that there is like a what seems to be a pretty new conversation around, um, you know, females in the climbing world and eating disorders and um, that sort of thing. And so I, I feel like I have a lot of guilt over feeling like, um, I'm sorry, over feeling like maybe I influenced a generation of girls to make poor decisions around their bodies. So I guess I would like the opportunity to tell <clears throat> my story in the hopes that even if I like negatively impacted girls that came after me, perhaps I could positively impact the next generation to make better choices. For a long time, I felt like I couldn't write the story because as far as I know, my family still denies I had an eating disorder and my eating disorder wasn't about climbing per se. Ultimately, it became kind of twisted up in that, but initially it was a response to other things going on in, in my family. And so there's also a part of me that wants to like just explain myself you were the biggest thing in women's climbing so there's definitely i mean it's for sure an influence whether it was intentional or not but i mean i think that the the trend in climbing you know there's there's famous stories you know christian griffith wrote a very famous story in climbing about trying to lose weight in france guys like dale goddard uh you know aka skeletor you know <laughs> there was this whole regime and it was just previous I mean, it was when you started climbing and it was still influencing everyone 
of this idea that like the most important thing was actually to lose weight. That that was throughout climbing. You know, like I said, this I can't remember the name of the article, but a lot of, of people my age will remember. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris just, Christian Griffith and Bukes, like yeah, you know, and JB taking the piss out of him for being too fat and like him. <laughs> like eating nothing until he blows all his fingers out and so they also were in this regime so it wasn't just you is all i'm trying to say this was kind of this idea yeah. now you obviously I understand had some that problems and took all it about, to extreme right yeah 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 and i understand that it wasn't all just me <laughs> yeah you were part of a of of an idea that was going on in climbing that was was wrong <laughs> you yes. know it's like yeah but then you had a lot more going on i mean your yeah. family situation was influencing and it wasn't just i mean and in fact i don't think it was just about you wanted to climb better it had nothing to do with right climbing honestly right it was more the <clears throat> quintessential like eating disorder thing where you need to control something in your right. life um you were in sort of this regime of having you know a family or in, in this case, your mom who was, who was pushing you to compete uh, pretty hard and sort of controlling who you were as a, as a climber. Is that right? It's comp it's complicated. Right. Um, I wasn't pushed in like your typical soccer mom kind of way or like coach way. Um, so that's, I guess that's kind of why I want to write the book because I don't know how to like, easily explain the kind of dynamic that we have had that we had without just kind of like laying it all out right. there. Cause it actually wasn't at all like a pushy shot soccer mom kind of situation. It was a lot more complicated. Yeah. It was like a heady mix of religion. And, <clears throat> Lots of religion. And, yeah. Cause you were uh, what Baptist kind of or was there was um, it sort of a, a f- it was kind of like a i mean we went to thing. a baptist church right. in colorado before we moved to kentucky but it's kind of like its own thing right it's hard to again it's hard to explain it wasn't it was kind of almost something that was kind of made up a little bit <laughs> yeah i mean you, like it sounds like influenced by by that but yeah but, but I mean, it seemed like the way you talked about it, like, you know, the, the God had something to do with your talent and while you were climbing and you believed that and, and had this um, sort of internal ongoing conversation with God. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was extremely isolated. Mm-hmm. And so God was like the only person I could talk to a lot of the time. Right. And you, I mean... Bible influenced the whole thing, right? Yeah. Um, there were a lot of roles in our house. Um, and like, um, you know, like no music, no TV, no dancing, no socializing with boys. <laughs> no. And then, you know, you know, in religion, I don't know about other religions, but in ours, it's not something that you do. It's like a gift that God has given you. And then it's your responsibility to like live up to those expectations of, you know, using this gift as a way to like convert (laughs) non-believers. Right. It's, it's wild to hear it. And I've known some of this stuff for years. Yeah. Um, But I, you know, when you talk about isolation, 
I just imagine, and I use, I've always imagined this because I, I wasn't there and, and, but you know, just how isolated that would make you in this little world of climbing. Um, because we have a tendency in climbing to be, you know, the opposite of that. And you've got at least these male climbers coming in, just having a good old time. You know, this is just fun. And we're like just typical teenagers out here, like traveling the world and climbing. And there's Katie Brown. And I've always kind of imagined in my head what it sort of must have seemed like. And maybe you can describe, like, who who would I have seen in isolation, you know, when you were 15 years old in at a climbing competition? Like, tell me what you, what you think your image was walking like, into that. Like who I was competing with? Yeah, and just, and just you. Like, what, what would I have seen in terms of that when you were out in these climbing com- competitions? What was, what was that Katie Brown like? had I sort of interfaced with you? Well, I didn't talk. (laughs) (laughs) That that doesn't isolate you at all. (laughs) But there's reasons I didn't talk. Yeah. So tell me about it. I mean, I was introverted to, Mm -hmm. I mean, I am introverted to begin with. I don't know. I don't know. Like I'm nervous about how deep I want to go into (laughs) my mom's stuff because I'm afraid she'll hear it. Okay. Um, Let's just do this. Like, you know, you didn't talk. Yeah. What were you doing? Like, I always imagine you playing your flute quietly in the corner. <laughs> I was definitely <laughs> quiet in a corner. Maybe, you know, pouring over the Bible. I, I don't know. Like Reading a Bible, probably. I would fall asleep in isolation sometimes. The X Games, they had to, like, wake me up because it was my turn to climb. <laughs> <clears throat> and then you won, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that didn't piss off any other of the cup competitors at all. <laughs> they just woke that little girl up and she just <laughs> then she just kicked my ass. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Who the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was tired. I you were tired. I mean, I wouldn't sleep the night before usually, so I was like really tired. Right. So I would be awake all night, like stressing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you describe in the the chapter you gave me sort of a sample chapter of what mm-hmm. you're writing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you described a total sort of body failure, and and uh, yeah. I think it was Birmingham. Yeah. Yeah. It was England. the first competition that I felt like I technically like lost. I think I was like seventh or something. Right. And I was, my body was just a mess. So, um, <clears throat> so I started having a lot of things go wrong with my body, but my family didn't want to talk about the idea that I would have an eating disorder. Cause I, I think maybe then it would be like a reflection on something else and something that, um, it was easier to just deal, well, yeah, treat the symptoms and, um, and call it something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're 14, 15, 16, it's really confusing when you feel like you know what's going on, but you're told all the time that that's not what's happening. But then also getting like yelled at it, yelled at for it. It's a little confusing, but so basically... I I abused laxatives and stuff, and um, at one point I took an antibiotic, and um, 
because my system was already extremely weak, it stripped the lining of my intestines. And so after that, it just led to like a whole host of other problems um, from like, you know, extreme hypoglycemia, low blood oxygen, something, I forget what it's called, but it's like where you stand up and your heart rate raises too quickly. Um, like when you're resting and you're anorexic, your heart rate is very, very low, like 40 to 45. And then when you stand up, it like stresses the heart. I'm, I'm not explaining it very well, but so you feel like you're going to pass out a lot. Um, so yeah, there was just a lot of things going wrong in my body, but I was still trying to like <clears throat> train and, um, and my stomach was extremely distended and I looked like one of those, like a malnourished, because I was a malnourished right. kid. Mm-hmm. And so we had to like let out the waistbands and all of my climbing pants that Christian had so kindly made for me in a nice special size. <laughs> like your t- super tiny size. Yeah. yeah. And um, because the pressure on my abdomen was like too much. And you couldn't climb anymore. I At climbed least. through all of it. Oh, right. Yeah. It was just hard. Right. It was, I guess, like one of a few low points. Right. Because it felt like. With the exception of that San Francisco adult comp where I think I got like second or third, <clears throat> I placed first in every competition I'd ever entered. And right. so, and I just felt like I had failed God. Within the, within this competition circle, you mentioned uh, Beth Rodden and it seems like that was, you know, looking for sort of like, I don't know if it was either like a, duo thing or a rivalry thing but she was always you know there that she's like part of the katie brown era with uh with with competition climbing did you have a relationship with beth or did you have any relationship with anyone that was a confidant or were you that isolated beth was probably my only friend Mm -hmm. definitely my only friend um but i wouldn't say i necessarily confided right in her I mean, she must have been concerned about what was going on. She's not like complete. I can't imagine she was completely naive to it all. I don't really know. I'd have to ask her if she saw or felt anything funny (laughs) about the right about my situation. But I mean, we were both in our own worlds, even though we were friends, you know, so we're both kind of like dealing with our own stuff at the same time. Right. As being close friends. So you just mentioned 99. That it was sort of uh, the end of, of competition era. Mm-hmm. Um, so what kind of uh, broke the back of it all? You know, if you had these low points even years before, but just battled through them. Yeah. What happened? What what happened to, uh, to end the run and uh, move on a little bit? Yeah, so I did a series of competitions in 99 and I felt like everything just like kept going wrong. <laughs> and um I was also trying to get better kind of on my own. I've done a lot of reading about it cuz I was never like treated. But there's a lot of like disordered eating that can come with it like binging and restricting and that kind of stuff. And um, so I was trying to do some competitions 
in 99 and I did the bouldering X games and they had switched the format to bouldering to try and make it more interesting for viewers, I think. And so it's funny you say that because part of the problem was, uh, was you. I know like, it was really boring to you watch. Were like, you were so in control. <laughs> yeah, it was really boring. Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> You're like, <laughs> well, it just didn't seem hard. Like you were so good that it didn't, you made the hardest thing not look hard. You know, you just, you were like of that era again of like crawling up the wall was, and every hold looked giant. And so it was just kind of like, well, I mean, I know she's really good, but it would be cool if like, you know, she'd cut loose or like shook a little bit or like, you know what I mean? Or yell. Really you know? good at disassociating. Yeah. So just anyway, like check out. Yeah. So they moved it. I mean. Yeah, they moved it to a bouldering competition, which sort of inherently has a lot more of the dynamic, dynamic, and yeah, yeah. and yelling and swinging off the holds and things. So, yeah, yeah. I just totally remember that, like yeah. you on this completely horizontal wall, just you know, easily <laughs> and slowly crawling across <laughs> the bottom of it. And like, you know. it's funny because I the first year um, they made everybody do the speed climbing, yeah, and it was like I hated taking whippers, and so. For the speed climbing, you're supposed to like climb up to the top and then climb above your anchor and jump and hit this buzzer. And so I was like, I tried to like lock off and reach the buzzer for like three minutes. And so it was like on the score, it was like 17 seconds, 12 seconds. Right. And then it was me at the bottom, like three and a half minutes. Like you weren't going <laughs> like, to jump. You were going to try to I'm gonna like, try to not do it statically. Do static and hit this buzzer, which I think I was ultimately unsuccessful at and I had to jump. <laughs> but... Okay, yeah. so back to the anyway. to the the bouldering X Games. Yeah, so um, in the athlete meeting, I feel like I remember them saying something about like, you know, we're trying to keep climbing going in the X Games, and so you know it needs to be like more of a spectator sport. So you could either top out the boulder problems or you could jump down, and um, so they were like kind of encouraging competitors to jump down if you topped out instead of topping out because it's more interesting and being me I was like okay I gotta listen to what they say and do what they say and so um so at the last boulder problem of like semis or whatever it was I jumped down instead of topping out but I didn't know how to land and so I landed on my feet and my knees came up and hit my chin and um snapped my head back and my neck was like really, really sore the next morning. So we went to the medical tent and they were like, oh, you probably tore some ligaments in your neck. And they gave me some pills to take. And, um, I got like really freaked out about the idea of like torn ligaments that mm -hmm. sounded like weird and scary. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to take these pills, but they're muscle relaxants. And so in the finals, I just... I would sit at the base of the boulder problem and be like, okay, Katie, you have to try now and just be like jello. Get on and be like, ooh. So that didn't go well. No. <laughs> Obviously. That's not chapter one of a training, like, or climbing. Yeah. How to Take rock climb. Take some muscle relaxants right before finals. <laughs> right it's before a good plan. bouldering. It's a good plan. So, um, so that happened. 
And then there was another. Kind of funny though. It's kind of funny. <laughs> and then there's a no. They're all like kind of funny. So there was another one know, but... at a World Cup in Germany where I accidentally started climbing the men's route, <laughs> and so I was like totally on the wrong route, and that competition didn't go well. <laughs> and I was just, I think I was just like really out of it. I would just kind of check out, mm-hmm. and so. Just not, not being like present, right. and um, and then, arc. I went. I did Arco that year, and they said I got. I stepped on a bolt, and so then I was disqualified. And instead of contesting it, which I kind of feel like maybe I should have, I was like, whatever. I'm just gonna pretend like I don't care. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe it was your inner voice of not caring anymore. <laughs> Andre just stepped on a bolt. So who did Adam Andre? Oh, at a competition. Yeah, uh, one uh, his qualifier for the Olympics. The first he's now qualified, but the one where everybody expected him to qualify, he freaking got disqualified. So oh, really? it happens to the best. Yeah, that in conjunction with just a lot of other things going sure. on in personal world, right? Um, and it's like just I don't know, decided not to compete anymore. Well, we and I wasn't motivated, right? I I've sort of framed this when we started talking about kind of this arc it's not really an arc i think it's probably looks more like a you know up and down chart (laughs) but generally ending up from like really really unhealthy Mm -hmm. um i think to a place of health yeah uh, relatively speaking and maybe it went up and down but you're now higher on the chart you did sound like you took took yourself on a little bit of a you know you, you were never treated for this eating disorder but you sort of by the time I met you and, and started hanging out with you, you weren't, you know, in that shape that you were mm-hmm. in. Yeah. And then, so what happened to make you, it sounds like it was a personal decision to seek a healthier way of living, even yeah. if it didn't, you know, it wasn't like you just flipped a coin and now I'm good. But what did um, that look like? So ultimately my body started feeling so bad and I felt so sick that I just wanted to feel better more than I cared about controlling my food. And, um, and I wanted to be strong for climbing. So I would force myself to eat because I would be like, Oh, I have this like competition coming up or I want to go climbing. I want to do this route or whatever it may be. And so I would make myself eat so that I would be strong enough. What changed though? How how did you manage to do that when you couldn't before or didn't want to before? Well, because initially it didn't impact my body. Right. So it didn't matter. So if it I really wasn't just eating. was a crisis. It wasn't like, and for a while you probably climb better, even though I wasn't starving myself to climb better. Right. For a while I probably did climb better sure so it wasn't like cause and effect yet it was kind of separate entities Mm -hmm. so it wasn't like you know i don't need to be less skinny because it doesn't have any impact on my climbing but then when you start getting so sick and then it really does impact the thing that you want to do there's two paths there. Like if you have an eating disorder 
a lot of people could never make that sort of decision and never have that realization. And I mean, and end up dead yeah. is, is the, is the ultimate de- end of that path. Yeah. You know, so you had some strength of mind to, uh, to realize like, you know, there, I have to make a decision here uh, about my body and about feeling better and things like that. Because, you know, one of the thing I think the really scary things about it is that for most of us who don't have this clinical disorder, mm-hmm. we, you know, it's like, I'm hungry, I eat. And, yeah. and to make a sort of empathetic leap to where a person in your situation is can be really hard. Yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. I'll admit it. It can be really hard to understand. And, you know, but you, you sort of made a, you, you were conscious enough or had the strength enough to make a move, to make a move down the other path, you know, which is means that you're here talking to me and not a statistic or in a grave, you know? Yeah. I remember, you know, writing in my journal, being in that zone where just being like really jealous of people who are able to just intuitively eat being like, how do you, like, how do you do that? I want that so bad. I want that. And I don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was younger, for a long time, I kind of hated climbing because I felt like it had caused all these things. So it wasn't until I was older that I realized that in a way, in a way, climbing kind of saved me because... Without it, I don't know that I would have had a reason to stop. So by the time I met you, or anyway, that we were spending sort of some time together here and there through mutual friends, you were on your own, climber lifestyle, the pretty typical odd jobs, you know, staying with friends, living in a car. Living on like no money. Yeah. And (laughs) you had a tiny little car. (laughs) What were you driving? Ford Focus. Yeah. But luckily, you're little. But I'm you fit small. right in there. I lived in <laughs> yeah, it. Your dog. My little one single yeah. burner stove. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you had had moved to this this thing. I think that we think of as sort of like a typical. Uh, yeah, I thought that was so normal. Yeah. I mean, it was for the longest climbing. time, yeah. and then I got older, and I was like, oh no, I was like fully homeless. <laughs> right. Yeah, but I mean, that in climbing, it is normal, That's and like it's almost so sought after. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, tell me about that. You know, you you were living uh, your your family situation, um, the relationship that you talked about um, in the writing was your your mom and your brother were sort of the satellite. Your dad seemed kind of out of the picture, so to speak. Um, even though they were, your parents were still together. They were at married. That time. Yeah. yeah. How did you sort of like break loose from that? Because it seems like that was part of uh, a move that needed to be done for your health as well. Um, And it probably wasn't easy. No, it was hard. I think as you get older, you just kind of realize like you go to this person for comfort and for wisdom and solace and all this stuff. And as you get older, you realize like, actually, this is this relationship is not helping me. I don't feel better after going to this person. And so it becomes not like any kind of like crazy, like falling out or anything like that. It's more like self-preservation just to be, to realize that it's not the kind of relationship that you can fix. So just kind of stepping away from it is like the healthiest decision you can make for yourself 
Right. Even though you have to like kind of mourn the loss of having a parent. What about the, you know, to put it sort of cliche, I guess, is um, to a certain extent, and I don't know where you where you live with this now, but you you had sort of a losing of your religion in that yeah. era as well. Yeah. I mean, this thing that, you know, was part like, sounds like it was sort of part standard religion and part like imaginary friend kind of set up or... <laughs> never this, thought of it like this that kind of yeah. thing you know i mean yeah but he was also like kind of a harsh imaginary friend oh, yeah, because no, he would like yeah. punish you yeah for sure you know or like yeah. you're always like what's god's will yeah he's and not then gonna tell stressing you. out because yeah. if it doesn't because then you're like oh shit that must have not been god's will i must have like really messed up and how am i gonna get punished now or god's gonna test me and like right. all that it's yeah yeah mm -hmm. so i mean what was there a process in that or did you just decide that that wasn't necessary anymore that level of it and like I said i don't know where you are now with yeah with i it. guess now i consider myself more agnostic than anything i sure. prefer to just not really think too much about it <laughs> um because then i do not have to confront things but anyway it was a process um i actually went to college at a christian college for a year in seattle and they were a pretty liberal Christian college and coming from the like super isolated controlling world that I came from, it was pretty eye opening because they would teach us about other religions and other worldviews and schools of thought. And although I went to a Christian college, it made me start thinking about other ways of thinking which is kind of ironic right? because I came from such this like weird kind of like weird, I don't want to say cult, but this kind of weird, like hyper strict view of Christianity that when I went to this school, I was like, my mind was like kind of blown a little bit. And I found myself like really resonating with some of the other religions that mm -hmm. we were learning about and well you didn't go to high school essentially no. right that's a whole other story. yeah i mean that's a whole other part of this that <laughs> yeah and i the reason i bring that up is just to frame what kind of like eye-opening experience this might have been yeah it's hard for me to explain in a way that people can really understand exactly how isolated i was but well that's a big one yeah. right there because it wasn't even exactly homeschooling either it was simply oh, no. uh uh you just sort of skipped that whole part of your education, both knowledge-based education, but also social-based. Yeah, of course my we social don't. skills were yeah. pretty pretty poor, <laughs> pretty lacking. Right. I remember being at Lisa's house, Lisa Hathaway in Moab, and being like, Lisa, she was like, you know, one of my, I don't know, like not first, but I don't know, one of my earlier like grown-up friends. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've been like, I need to find someone to climb with, and I don't know how. Right. I don't know how to find, how do you find a climbing partner? I don't remember if you were there or not, but she's like, Katie, just go outside and ask those guys if they, you can go climbing with them. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> go outside and they're all going to the creek the next day and I'm like, hey, can I go with you guys? And the guy was like, I got to ask my girlfriend first. <laughs> 
And I was like, that happens. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. And Stefan came out and was like, dude, just let her go climbing with you. She just wants to go climbing. (laughs) That's hilarious, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Because you were what, like 20 something by then? And I was easily like 23 or 24 and still. You were no longer a 13. Oh, no, I wasn't a kid, but I was, that was like, what I was working with, right, right. I may, I may as well socially, I may as well have been thirteen. Right. I never really, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's like you found. I think you found some people. I mean, Lisa being one of them. You know, oh yeah. This like great friend. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Lisa's amazing. Kind of like when you needed them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And Brittany's in there, and and, and yeah, you know, yeah, and who else? I mean, I think those years in Moab were really just kind of important for me to figure out how to like have friends and be normal. Right. I mean, I remember thinking about it too of like, well, like who is she as a climber now? You know, like, and and not like, uh, I just kind of as an observational, like, okay, she used to be like this super famous climber, you know, it, it can like, we inter because I, I thought about it too. It's like, can we interface with her on a normal level as well? <laughs> I mean, just just wondering because you know, it's like I was hadn't been climbing all that long or whatever, and like we were just kind of encountering, you know, the quote unquote professional climber almost for the first time. And right. you know, I don't know if you were even at that time. I mean, you still probably. I mean, had I had like sponsors, yeah. but it wasn't yeah. like I was making right. money but you were in these videos you know you went to india with chris sharma and like all these yeah. sorts of things so it's like you were a celebrity still um so but it was interesting to me i remember thinking about like okay there's this celebrity person katie brown and that that doesn't really mesh with this you know katie brown that's standing in lisa's dirt lot right it's just like a total shit show <laughs> 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 it's like a complete disaster. Right. Where's I, my dog? Yeah, well, people lose their dogs. It's not. Don't be so hard on yourself. But uh, and and again, like it's so funny you keep saying that because you said that earlier. And uh, um, I mean, I don't remember thinking anything like that. Whatever you were doing as a climber was anything unusual. Like living in a car was totally normal. Totally normal. You know. Yeah, just cruising around with your dog and picking up climbing partners here and there. Like, I think your perception of what that looked like and maybe what was going on in your head yeah. was different than what it looked like to the outside world. Yeah. I you were just so this climber chick, totally, completely normal, also, but also really good at climbing. <laughs> um, and I was interesting. I didn't to, feel like I was very good, but. Well, this is all, this is all fallout issue. from your. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I also kind of. You know, it seemed like it was interesting to hear that you, 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 you know, realized that you still liked climbing because you and you hated it at one point. For um, a long but, time. Yeah. But I also was sort of curious about that because a lot of times I always wondered about that, too, you know, and I felt like, you know, sometimes she seems to be getting a lot of joy out of it. And other times she seems to have a real fraught relationship with it. Of course, yeah. I didn't, you know, have a real idea of what you'd been through as a competition climber. Did that was that did that play into the fact that eventually you kind of bailed from climbing? Yeah. I just couldn't figure out a lot of this stuff that I was dealing with or that I was getting triggered by. I couldn't separate it. Right. So 
It was easier to just quit. Well, you know, I remember thinking, because I'm like, I was sort of a little bit of a spectator uh, because I also have a really good relationship with Lisa, you know, and we we're kind of like in the same zone a lot. Right. Like, and know, also, Lisa's you know, it's like I'm older, I'm older than you are, you know, and I, in all honesty, like when I was around you, I just, it did like sort of trigger some paternalism and, <laughs> and, and, you know, and Lisa's, you know, like the famous, the matron of all these young climber girls in Moab at the time, you weren't, you weren't the only one and continued to not be the only one. So, you know, I, when I'm, when I'm like saying I was sort of an observer, it wasn't, you know, I was just kind of like, I had concerns myself and, and like, okay, who is this, who is this person? And sometimes it's, she's really joyful and fun and other times she's not. And, um, it, it wasn't like, oh, she's being a bitch. I was like, God, I'm, I'm actually kind of like, I have these concerns, you know, <laughs> to, I'm just That's letting sweet. you tell, tell you this. Cause you know, I remember we sort of lived together for a moment at, uh, at the bag and Jonathan's in Carbondale too. Um, oh yeah, you totally. That? Yeah, yeah. Not really lived together. We were both staying there like kind oh, of yeah. long term. One of the, <laughs> the many people who were like, hmm, strange. Katie's living on our couch. Yeah. <laughs> No, you had it your whole Amy room. Amy Goldhammer and Skylar were another one <laughs> yeah, where they're yeah. like, how did we end up with Katie living on our couch? <laughs> Hi, I'm really small. I'm not <laughs> taking up much Brady space. And Jonathan, yeah, I'm just like, yeah. You could just be in the crack in the couch. So, and then they'd be like, where'd she go? Right. <laughs> just like gone for like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bag in the corner. Sorry, I had to leave, but the problem is wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, like Kochimo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I'm out of here. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm just going to leave all Did my stuff. Did you forget stuff. about that one? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just going to somebody will want it, right? Yeah, Ka- just Katie leave. went to Co- – oh, this is a total aside. But- so, yeah, Katie went on a trip to uh, to Kochimo with uh, me and a couple friends and was not in the best space when she arrived. <laughs> um and nursed her sort of attitude for a, about a week and a half, and then just suddenly, on, the literally, like, yeah, look, it was a, it was a hard trip. It was raining a lot, and uh, suddenly, just you know, announced she was leaving. <laughs> and then we all went into town, and she like left half her shit, and was just like, "I'm gone." And we put her on a bus, and that was the last, almost like the last time I saw you. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I think that was fun. You know what's funny? I still have your tent. You do? I was wondering. <laughs> I thought about that actually. Like, I wonder what happened to all that shit I left in Cochamo. Hopefully, somebody like got use out of it because that was super irresponsible of me. I, 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 I made a lot of bad decisions. I grabbed it and, and uh, <laughs> leaving a I tent behind it. I take responsibility for all my Chile bad decisions. Is definitely not. You, I don't think you have to put that on the list of something to worry about. I still have it. I use it all the time. It's not the last. Uh, was it, that wasn't the first time I did that. Like, right. I'll just leave my gear and somebody will want it. Right. And, yeah. You were right. So, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it was like this. I mean, honestly, it was, again, it was like this symptom of, I think you, you had this fraught relationship with climbing. Yeah. And, and myself. And yourself. Yeah. So, uh, again, arc towards health. <laughs> yeah. Because in all honesty, you know, I, I'm this huge, you know, evangelical, you know, pun intended, I guess, within <laughs> the conversation here for climbing for its benefits, for its community, for everything. But I don't, you know, when someone makes a a decision for their health to leave it, it's like, I'm like, God, that, and I remember honestly thinking like that probably is time at least for her to, 
and you'd come and gone a little bit mm, and like maybe, I tried before. Yeah, these little like comebacks and stuff yeah. like that. But when it seemed like it had taken, to be honest with you, I was like, God, oh, that was probably uh good in the long run, uh, at least for the moment. Because I just don't know that it's like the coach my trip was just a symptom of like she doesn't love this. Something Why is going on? Yeah. there's other there's a million other things to do in life. Yeah. And climbing is just one of them. And yeah. if it's uh if 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 it's a place that's and I actually see this online all the time, even to this day, like, you know, with social media, just one post ever after another where people are just like, you know, hammering themselves for performance or hammering themselves for like what they feel about climbing. I'm Identity. Like, yeah. I'm like, you, maybe it's not for you and it's yeah. not the end of the world, you know, um, although it can be sort of an end of a world with someone like you who probably for 25, almost 30 years, it was everything you had, you know. Yeah, I kept trying to leave, <clears throat> and then they kept pulling. You no, back it in. was more. It wasn't anyone pulling me right. back. It was I didn't like know who I was. Right. Without it, and I didn't know how to like be okay with the other parts of my personality that were not about climbing because mm-hmm. they were like they felt less worthwhile. Right. <clears throat> um. So I just kept going back to climbing because so I was like, I don't know what else to do. Right. I don't know. I'm like, who am I without climbing? And who were you? Who did you find? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I don't know. Just me. <laughs> <laughs> just you. I mean, you, you, you fell in love. You found a partner. Mm-hmm. You had a kid. I had a kid. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit. What Having that? a kid? Well, just, um, you know, it's like you, you, you find yourself outside of climbing a little bit. Mm-hmm. What did you fill it with? Uh, mostly being a mom and then work, you know, some working. But mostly I got, you know, got to be home with my daughter for quite a few years. And mm-hmm. so mostly just being a mom and trying to do it right. Yeah. I was going to say you had a, uh, you know, a, a at least in your teenage years, a poor experience, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So what has that informed you about uh, raising your daughter, who has got to be, what, like six or seven She's now? Seven and a half. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was nervous to become a parent. I think that's typical. <laughs> I mean, not just for everybody, but for people who've, who, you know, have mm-hmm. these relationships that, they're, that were problematic. Yeah. Um. And I'm sure I'll get it wrong in like a million ways, but mostly it just, I mean, that's the most important thing to me is trying to do the best job I can. What's she like? Um, she's hilarious. She's super talkative, <laughs> which is funny. <laughs> um, it's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> she said... The other night, we had Chris and Heather over for dinner because Chris is helping me with the book. Mm-hmm. Chris Weiner. Chris Weiner and Heather yeah. Weiner, yeah. yeah. And um, she told them she was going to be a volunteer paleontologist slash pastry chef mm. when she's a grown-up. So, she's really into dinosaurs. Right. So she, but she wants to do that just like volunteer. Volunteer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She'll make all her money as a pastry <laughs> as chef. As a pastry chef. <laughs> <laughs> So she's got a lot of career options. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, how do you explain your kid? They're, right. they're so like weird and cool and unusual and mm-hmm. 
just like unique little humans. Right. <laughs> no, I just wanted you, uh, I just honestly wanted to give you a moment to reflect on it, you know, because it, it's, it's a good idea because you, it's guesswork. I mean, it's guesswork. Totally. We know that. I know that now. You know, you're just guessing about how to, yeah. to sort of guide them on a path towards, again, towards healthiness, really, yeah. is all you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, Being I mean, the healthiest well, version of themselves. Well, when we, I always, I think I hear it all the time, like, oh, you're just trying to keep them alive, you know, like, <laughs> b- but that, that's a code for, for that. Yeah. You know, keeping them healthy. Yeah. Mentally, physically, whatever it happens all to be. All the things. So. So, I mean, looking at her, do you, do you feel good? So about far, your yeah. job? Yeah. About so your far. job performance as you were as it were? I think so so far. Good. So. I have no doubt that the teenage years are going to be <laughs> interesting. <laughs> well, but yeah. So far so good. She's super happy and I feel like she has a really strong sense of who she is and that's important. Um are you you're sort of actually I've been people have been asking me like, "Hey, who are you interviewing here at the show?" and I've been like well, uh, the first one, I'm like Katie Brown, and they're like, "What? <laughs> what? Yeah." And I'm like, "Yeah, she's 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 emerging from hibernation." We started um, climbing again. Well, that's what I was about to ask you. It's so been, it's back in your life. Yeah, it's been like super super fun. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Really really fun. What does it look like? What have you guys been doing outdoors indoors? Mostly going to the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do well in the cold. I have like issues with my extremities and stuff. So, if we go outside, I'm mostly like romping around with Taylor while Taylor's climbs. (laughs) But yeah, so mostly in the gym, I like literally did not exercise for like six years, like at all, basically. (laughs) You had to lift a child up for. I mean, you know, like like weight training. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) carrying a kid around and all that. That was like my exercise. But um, so trying to like build up kind of like a base of fitness so they don't get hurt um and uh yeah just like having fun we went to wild iris for which was super fun you know when i was younger it was like i don't you know i don't really like this kind of climbing or whatever but now it's like oh it's climbing it doesn't really matter (laughs) what kind of rock it is or anything like that it's just fun and wild iris is so fun for a kid because the camping, you know, is like right there and the approach is nice and short. And then the there's all those like forts in the forest. And it was really funny actually going to the crag and having nobody know who I was. It was, it sounds kind of like weird, but it was a, a unique and pretty cool experience for me. Well, no, you, you, in your sort of heyday, you were like one of two or three of the most famous American climbers in the world. <laughs> I, I mean, guess, for sure. For like a minute. <laughs> yeah. But I, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it was you and Sharma and, you know, even Tommy wasn't probably in that, in that group yet. So yeah, that's understandable. I mean, I, I find it to be honestly, and I started by in the beginning by talking about this, I find it curious that I think in a lot of ways you're like this nowadays, you're a little bit of a footnote, no offense. No, it's um, totally. But fine. I think your legacy, I mean, aside from this behind the scenes stuff, which we're going to learn about in this book mm-hmm. and we're learning about here today, there's a lot that you did to pave the way for, again, what we kind of think of as a normal, you know, young outdoor 
sport climbing and indoor competition climber. Yeah, and I think like some of the stuff you were climbing was as hard as anything was cl anybody was climbing at the time. You know, some of your on sites and things were were benchmark setting. So um, I, I personally I find it curious that you're you're Katie Brown in the third person, not the one sitting here, but uh, is not this like kind of bigger thing. But also, was, yeah, I think my kind of moment was pretty brief. Yeah, in the grand scheme. Well, I didn't realize kind of how brief it was until I started reading about it. Because it had such a big impact on what I remember about climbing at that time. Because it was like, I mean, it was right when I was fiending on climbing as much as I probably ever have in my life. So, it seemed like a much bigger era, to no, be honest pretty, with you. No, pretty short. Yeah, yeah. Pretty so, short. Uh, your husband, what's his name? Talis. Talis. He, has he climbed through this hole even without you during... Because uh, no, I know he, he was, was a climber, really right? into dirt. He was, yeah. Yeah. Um, or is now, yeah. I guess. Um, but he was really into dirt biking okay. for quite a few years. So, um, but then he's been climbing with me again. Mm -hmm. So do you do you imagine it's it's like a, a comeback that's going to last now? I mean, at least recreationally. I mean, it's fun. It's not as easy as a to do as a family as like skiing or something because right. Taylor isn't super into it. But she does like. She, as long as we pick like the right places where she can have fun or where there's like kids she can play with or whatever, Talis and I both are having a lot of fun with it. And so, as long as we can keep it fun for her too, then I think we'll keep doing it. Right. Um, Were you surprised to see a lot of the same people at the gym 10 years later? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I no. can only imagine that. No, like, not really. Hey, Katie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was fun Here going to the rock pub because. It was like, oh, hi, hi. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But then there's also like, it's also so different at yeah. the same time, yeah. you know, like everyone's wearing glasses to like <laughs> to belay. To up, upwards. And, like, and I like totally failed, like almost failed like multiple belay tests and the Grigri's are different and um, I don't belay correctly. <laughs> oh, we just had a whole thing on the Norma cast <laughs> yeah, I'm like, about the belay test. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I heard, I listened to that and I was like, really? oh my God, that was so me. Like, I fully, <laughs> totally failed. I got so nervous taking the, my first belay test at Evo with this young girl. She was probably like 19 or 20. <laughs> and um, she was like, okay, so tell me what back clipping is. And I'm like, okay. And then she's like, tell me what Z clipping is. And I totally blanked and was like, it's when you place your gear too far apart and you zip, it zippers when you fall. <laughs> And then I was like, I I didn't actually say that. I almost said it, and then Taylor like jumped in and was like, "It's when you pull off rope from below your last straw." I was like, "Oh yeah, well, that's the, what it is." Both weren't that close together when you were climbing. I got, but <laughs> I like got thing. so nervous that I was gonna fail that I just like blanked, and all I could I heard Z, and all I could right. picture was like your gear <laughs> falling. That's so Apropos of our conversation, it's fucking awesome. Katie Brown fails her belay test. And then we're going over to like the lead, do a lead route. And she's like, um, I was like, I'm kind of nervous. And she's like, it's okay. If you need to stop and rest, you can say take and hang. And it was like five, seven. <laughs> I'm like, okay, thanks. <laughs> but God, then, I wish I'd have been there. It was hilarious. Just, I'd have been like, listen, little girl, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> But then it was funny, too, because when we were at Wild Iris, um, we had done this route. It was probably like 11A, or I had done it. So I, I went up first, and um, and then Talis was, like, sitting on the ground putting on his shoes. And these two guys come up 
the trail and they blow right past me and they go straight to Taylor's and they're like, so what's this route? Is it good? Da, 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 da. And I was all like, what? I just put the rope up. <laughs> I was like, so, so annoying. It's like, I get this whole new perspective and I still get like strangely triggered. Right. Like Taylor's and I have a joke because if he'll be like, He'll be like, this is how, you know, do this like training thing. And I get instantly like, no, dude, I'm going to do it my way. Right. Like, I get like, no, one, oh. no one's telling me what to do. Nobody's telling around. me what to do. <laughs> this time around, no one gets to tell me what like, to do. Super triggered. <laughs> so it's kind of become this like comical right. thing. But anyway, so although I still have like certain triggers, I it's fun to have like this whole new perspective right. to be like. And, you know, a girl at the crag. Right. Being all annoyed that some young kids thought it was, you know, her husband that went up the right. route. <laughs> well, do you have interest in performance climbing anymore? Do you think? No, just... Um, just having fun. Yeah, we're just yeah. having fun. I, I want to see... I mean, it's been... It's fun to learn. Some of, Sometimes I have, like, sadness about thinking about... Um, Maybe like where I could have gone. Right. <clears throat> so. How old are you? I'm turning 40 this year. Holy cow. Yeah. That's all right. I climbed what some of my hardest stuff, like 41, 42. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I'm, I'm You're still there, doing a lot maybe. of like internet stalking to find out how people like train and stuff mm -hmm. now. So if anyone wants to like train with me i want to learn how because okay. <laughs> i'm curious to see how to get stronger because you know when i was younger i was by myself and then mm -hmm. in my 20s i just climbed outside so i right. never like learned how to get stronger well 20 years ago again it was just and it was different it was just the, people were shooting in the dark about how it was mm -hmm. really done and you were in the mindset, like everybody, that you just get better by getting better, mm -hmm. like climbing hard. You more. just climb more. Yeah, climb more and I'll get yeah. better. I'll eventually be able to climb that thing or whatever. So let's go finish up here yeah. then with the book. Um, back to the book. Th this project, this um, idea of writing this book, it's sort of, you know, as cliche as it sounds, it's a, you know, it's like the behind the scenes sort of tell all of what your life was like. And I think that people of my era didn't know. I knew because I had a personal relationship with you mm -hmm. and with people who were very close to you. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think the, you know, the rest of the world really knew what was going on. Do you think in terms of, I frame this in this health thing, do you think, um, I mean, are you hoping that this is another step towards a sort of healthier mindset in terms of the process of, of writing this book and putting this really hard stuff onto paper? Mm -hmm. I do, yeah. I think, um, I mean, anytime you put your story down, I think it can be cathartic because everyone has a story. Right. Um, and the more you talk to people, the more you realize, like, yeah, everyone has a crazy story. Like, it's easy to think that you're, you know, like, alone or whatever, but it's right. like, no, everybody has a crazy story. And that's cool. But, the act of like putting it down can be pretty cathartic and yeah, I don't know. I just feel like, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I, when I asked you about religion, you said, mm -hmm. I try not to think about it was literally the quote that <laughs> yeah. you just gave me. And right away I was like, 
well, you're about to have to think about it, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I, I would assume there has to be some talk of that yeah. in the book. So I'm like, oh, no, okay, there's a lot, and it's, get a ready, lot of Katie, because guess what? You have to start thinking <laughs> yeah. about it. <laughs> a lot of it's pretty embarrassing, too, because it's like, I mean, I go back and read like some of the things that I thought and some of the things that I was taught and some of the things, and I'm like, oh, my God, I sound crazy. Yeah, it's it's a little embarrassing, but it is what it is. I mean, you're almost 40. Yeah. But you can stop getting embarrassed about who you were when you were 13, I think. <laughs> I mean, to be honest with yeah. you, we're all fucking embarrassed. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> like, if you had to sort of be thrown back into that body, you'd just be like, oh not even God. physically, but mentally, you're just like, who the fuck, what was I thinking? Yeah, you know? totally. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I think it's time. Um, you know, I think it's a perfect age. Yeah. And, and a perfect place in life. You're a mom of a seven-year-old who's... The three years, four years, five years away from being coming a tween. A tween. Yeah. <laughs> Girl tweens. Yeah. They're not easy. <laughs> so, well. I was. I did everything I was told all yeah, the time. Yeah. To, to your detriment. Too, so. <laughs> well, awesome. I am really glad you sat down. I know it was hard for you. Yeah. Thanks. Um, Sorry about my waterworks. That's okay. It's it's podcast gold. Everybody in you know, a cast man knows it. <laughs> I was, that's all I was trying to do was, how can I get her to cry? Well, that's not hard when you ask about my past. It's like instant. (laughs) But I'm really, I'm really happy to see you. I'm really happy that you're, you're healthier. Thanks. Um, I did honestly have my concerns over the years and, and I, and I, you know, even in the years I haven't interacted with you, I, I keep an eye. And again, that sounds really, you know, paternalistic, but I just have always been interested and, I was so happy to hear that you had a kid and uh and I'm happy now to hear that that's you know something that that has fulfilled you because um you needed something you know <laughs> and I knew that at the time. Yeah. So thanks for coming in Katie. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> folks thanks for listening and thanks to katie brown for sitting down for a pretty difficult interview a couple more things about katie brown did you know that in 1999 she onsided what was considered by a lot of people to be 14a omaha beach in the red river gorge of course once she onsided it it suddenly became a confirmed 13d imagine that and did you know that she also basically onsided hydrophobia in Monsant, Spain, hanging half the draws while she went, but it was recorded as a flash and also downgraded, though it crept back up to 14A 12 or so years later when a more local female climber onsided it. Did you know Katie Brown onsided the northwest face of Half Dome? Did you know that she freed the Leaning Tower with Lynn Hill? Anyway, pretty good climber, that Katie Brown. Looking forward to that book. Okay, folks, are you creeping out there? I think you're creeping out there. Admit it. You're probably creeping out there. And that's okay in quite a few places. Just be safe. Be extra safe these days in so many ways. And respect each other and the needs that go along with this pandemic. Because remember, you're taking care not just for yourself, but for other people. So as you do start creeping out there, testing those waters, 
Of course, get back in those habits, man, and check the knots. Come far, pilgrim. Feels like far. Were it worth the trouble? Huh? What trouble? 